Pastor. Got it, Pastor Jamal. Thanks. Hey, you may, don't worry about me. I'm just restless today. It's, it's, it's good when I'm restless because there's something stirring in my soul that I, I just feel we need to hear from God this morning. I'm excited that over the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about rekindling our heart. Rekindling our heart. And as I have gone through the book of Kings, I just want to share with you some, some of the things that the Lord has brought to my attention. But rekindle means, re means again. That's simple. Re is again. Kindle is simple. When I was a kid, we did a lot of camping. And we had a travel trailer, and we'd do a lot of camping. And we went, and Dad, I would help Dad level up the trailer and hook up the water, hook up the electric. And then after that was all set, I'd pitch my tent. I have a tent. I pitched my tent. And then my job next was, if we wanted the campfire at night, I would have to go out and get some kindling. Kindle means to start a fire or to stir or to fan in the, we, we sang it about it today. Set a fire in my heart. Fan in the flames. Stir it up. And you might recall the words that Paul gave to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, where Paul, in the Greek, basically told Timothy to anazo, uh, ana, like I think of the Greek word, Anazopereo. Anazopereo. That was the Greek. Anazopereo. Ana means again or up. Zo means live or alive. Per is fire. Literally, the translation is again live fire. Again live fire. That's why Paul says to fan in the flames. Some translations say stir up. Other translations say kindle the gift that God has put in your heart. John the Baptist said this, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. And we know that in Acts chapter 2, the very fulfillment of that promise took place on the day of Pentecost when God poured out his spirit on the 120 in the upper room. In fact, there was so much confusion. People were wondering what's going on. That you remember, Peter stood up and addressed the crowd and said, this, this is, what's happening is not strange. It's what the prophet Joel said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And when Peter was done speaking that day, there in the end of Acts chapter 3, it talks about there were 3,000 people who repented and were baptized. We call that the first Christian revival when 3,000 gave their hearts to Jesus Christ. Now all throughout history 
there has been outpourings of the Holy Spirit. And the first in America dates back to 1734 up in New England. It's called the Great Awakening or the First Awakening under the preaching of, of people like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield. The second great awakening happened at the turn of the century, at the beginning of the 1800s, there in Logan County, Kentucky. James McGreedy and people like uh, Charles Finney is associated with the second great awakening. And then most of us know about in 1906, the outpouring of God's spirit on Azusa Street, which really our roots come from. But in between 1800s and 1906, there's a revival that's often overlooked and caught my attention. And I couldn't read enough on it. I, I could go for hours on all the details of it, but let me just give you some of the very basics. April 12th, 1861 was the start of the Civil War. Where our nation was so greatly divided over the dispute of slavery. That we went to war against each other. I don't know if you realize, but at that time, at the end of the war, 620,000 lives were killed. Now, 620,000 lives may not seem like a lot, but when the 1860 census says there were 31 million people at the time in America, and if you do the math, that's one out of every 50 Americans lost their lives during that time. At a time when our nation was greatly divided, it was Abraham Lincoln who saw religion as such an important part that he ordered the Union troops to have a chaplain in every brigade. And he gave those chaplain uh, commander fees where they would get $1,600 a year. $1,600 a year. That was a chaplain's fee. It was later reduced to $1,200 a month. Jefferson Davis in the South well, he didn't see religion as being as much, but wanted chaplains, and he would give them $600 a year. But as you read stories, you, you can look it up. Some call it the Third Great Awakening. Some call it the Civil War Revival. You will see where chaplains held services nightly. And, and, and as you read some of these stories, they, they had to turn some soldiers away because it was overcrowded. They said there was never a service that went by where a soldier did not commit his life to Jesus Christ. They say at the end of the war, there were at least 100,000 Confederate soldiers who gave their life to Jesus Christ and 200,000 Union soldiers who gave their life to Christ. When you combine the 300,000, it totaled just about 10% of the entire army surrendered to Jesus Christ. Why do I say that and why do I give that illustration? And why do I find reading about the revival that broke out in the Civil War so interesting? 
Because everywhere I go and every people I talk to, all I hear is how America is divided at this time. There's such great division. And as I read stories about the revival, the Civil War revival, I keep saying to myself, Lord, if you did it then, you can do it again. If there's ever a time we need to let our lights burn bright for Jesus and have our hearts set on fire, now is the day to rekindle our hearts for Jesus Christ. As I went through, let let me say first this, that I do not believe there is a secret formula that we can put in place for revival. We always want to have these formulas and figure out the formulas. One plus one is two. And I wish it was that easy. I wish there was this formula that, for revival. But as I go th- went through the book of Kings, especially the southern kingdom, Judah, you see outpourings. And that as a result of these outpourings and favor with God, there were conditions that needed to be fulfilled. And these conditions needed to be fulfilled in order to God bring favor. So it's not a formula, but there are principles and conditions. If we want to see God's presence move, there are conditions that need to be fulfilled. And that's what we're going to see through the book of Kings. But before we get there, I want to look at Deuteronomy chapter 30 this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 30. This is the last day of Moses. He's handing leadership over to Joshua to lead the children into the promised land. And the Lord speaks through Moses to the Israelites about these conditions, blessings and curses. And what I see is a promise. God promises that when his people are in rebellion, when the Israelites are far away from him, when they've gone into the promised land and they've forgotten their decrees and their commands, and they rebel against the one who brought them into the promised land. There's this promise that God will still be willing to draw them near, even though they are far removed, even though in the rebellion, you see, God promises that if you will draw near under certain conditions, I will pour out my spirit. And what I want us to do is this is a theme that runs all throughout Kings. But first, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, there are two things we're going to take a look at. First, we're going to take a look at what the Lord requires because there are conditions that the Lord wants us to fulfill. And then we're going to take a look at the Lord's response if we fulfill those conditions. Real simple, not rocket science. Here's what the Lord requires. When all these blessings and curses 
I have set before you. Come. And you take them to heart. Wherever the Lord your God dispenses you among the nations. So wherever the Lord dispenses you among the promised land. I want you to take to heart. Literally, take to heart means set to mind. Take to heart, set to mind. When you set something to mind, you remember. That's the simple point. That's how easy it is sometimes to get your points. Set to mind. And what the Lord is saying before the previous chapters, in the previous chapters, the Lord says, listen, if you don't obey my commands, this will be the results. Not so much punishment, but the natural consequences of rebelling against the Lord. There'll be wars. There'll be pestilence. There'll be diseases. And there may even be exile from the land. When these things happen, the Lord says, set to mind. Remember, I told you so. Didn't I tell you? The Lord knew that when the Israelites would enter the promised land, there would be a time when they would rebel against the Lord. And the Lord says, during that rebellion, during that turning away, set to mind, remember, didn't I say these things would happen? And why did the Lord want them to remember? The Lord wanted them to remember the consequences of their sins and to remember that God promised if they would remember and repent, he would come near. When I was thinking of this word remember, I was thinking of the letter in Revelation sent to the church at Ephesus. Remember the seven churches in Revelations? And remember the, the letter sent to church in Ephesus where it says, I know of your deeds. I know of your hard work. I know of your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. I know that you have persevered. I know that you have endured hardship. I know that you have not grown weary. Wow, that's some great compliments. But then there's a conjunction. That conjunction says, yet, despite all those good things, yet I hold this against you. You have what? Forsaken your first love. Remember the heights from which you have fallen. And that's the whole purpose of remembering. The Lord told the Israelites, when you rebel, I want you to remember the heights from which you have fallen, how I miraculously gave you this land. If there's one thing these past 11 months have taught me, is that, boy, they have revealed idols. Things that we put before God. 
Can I just meddle for a little bit? Be honest. How many of you are more interested on everybody's opinions on social media than you are God's opinion in his word? How many of you are so caught up in conspiracy theories that you forgot the theology of the Lord? And over these past 11 months, it really shows how divided we are. And I believe God is saying, I want you to remember the heights from which you have fallen. Because if you really love me, you'll know that I'm in control of all things. And it doesn't matter other people's opinions. And it doesn't matter conspiracy theories. I am the Lord thy God. And with that, it's not just enough to remember. The Lord says, and when you and your children return, remembering is not enough. But behind our remembering, there needs to be action. It's not just good enough to remember how far we have fallen. But we need to return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul and with everything I have commanded you. Listen, the Lord is not interested in our outward obedience. He's more interested in our heart. And that's what he was telling the, the church at Ephesus. Although you have done great and all these outward demonstrations are wonderful of your love. Your heart is far from you forsaking your first love. You see, it's all about an internal. When I think of returning, how can you not think of the prodigal son? who left his father. And while he was in the pig pen, he came to his senses. And when he came to his senses, he realized who his father was. And in remembering who his father was, he took action and returned home. And who was there to meet him on the road, his father. There's a theological term we use for that. It's called repentance. And remember the church at Ephesus? Oh, I know all your good deeds and your hard work, yet you have forsaken your first love. What did the angel of the Lord tell that church to do? Repent and do the things you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now that sounds very serious, doesn't it? That your lampstand is going to be removed. You know what the Lord is really saying there? He's saying that if you don't repent and do what you first do and did, and turn back to your first love. He says, if you don't do it, 
I will remove the church's witness to the community. I will remove the witness of this church from the community. Listen, folks. We need to be a witness, a great witness to our community. And I don't want our lampstand to be removed. I believe what the Lord is issuing and what the Lord is telling the Israelites. Is there are some wake-up calls in life. You ever have a wake-up call? Hello, somebody. I've had a couple wake-up calls in my life. And I'm wondering... And I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering. I'm going out on a limb. Who would ever think that a virus would take us down? And if that's not a wake-up call, then the Lord says, well, let me give you a variant from the UK. And if that's not enough, let me give you a variant from South Africa. How many more wake-up calls do we need, my friends? The Lord says, through Moses to the Israelites, I know when you get into the promised land, there's going to be a time. And I want you to remember the heights from which you have fallen. I want you to remember the consequences that you are reaping. And there's a promise that if you remember and you return, James 5, 8 Draw near to God. And what? God will draw near to you. You see who it starts with? You see who it starts with? There's a part that we do. We remember and we return. And as we draw near to God, now look at the Lord's response. Then... The Lord your God will restore. God is always about restoring. He's always about redeeming. He's always about reconciliation. That's his ministry. God is not willing that any should perish. He's always looking to bring us home back to him. He will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you. And gather you again from all the nations where he has scattered you. Now, please take note of verse 4. And think of what this is saying. Even though you've been scattered to other nations, I will bring you back. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under heaven. Even if you've been banished to the most distant lands under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. Do you know what that is saying? There is no place you can go here on earth. There is no hiding place that you can hide from God that he can't bring you back. There is no situation so desperate God can't bring you back. There is no hole you can deep. 
that's too dark, God can't bring you back. There's no closet you can hide in that God can't bring you back. No matter what you have done and you feel like you're totally hopeless, you're not hopeless in God's sight because there is no distant land under heavens where God can't find you and bring you back. So there is hope for our nation. There is hope for this church. And there is hope for this world. He will bring you to the land that belongs to your fathers. And you will take possession of it. And you will be more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. We know that sin destroys. And there are many people who have made a wreck of their life. But in that disaster, if you remember and you return, the Lord restores. What did the prophet Joel say? I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. Even though sin may have destroyed so much, God says, listen, I will restore it. We often talk about, I often talk about Job. How much he lost in chapter 1. That day was the most horrific day in anyone's life of how much someone could lose. And at the end of the day, he bows to the ground and he worships the Lord and says, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. You think after that terrible loss of that one day, it would get better. The next day, he's physically inflicted with boils where he's taking pieces of charred clay and cutting himself because of the pain. And then he has those three friends, and what does he say with three friends like that who needs enemies? But after Job suffered all those losses and endured those hardships and really saw the deep-rooted sin that was in his life, what we often don't talk about is after Job prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again, again and gave him twice as much as he had before. And the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. Aren't you glad that the Lord is into restoring? Oh, man. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and all your circumcision was a sign of Israel's covenant to God. It was a physical sign of Israel's covenant to God. But now we're talking circumcision of the heart. What are we talking? We're talking about an inward working. It starts from the inside out. And what God is saying, I believe, is that if you do your part, remember and return, I will restore and I will, catch this, this is what I believe this is saying, I will 
enlarge your heart so you can love me more. And you say, well, that's kind of self-serving of God. No, because God realized why we were created. Why were we created? To worship and to serve him. And the greatest fulfillment we can have in life is when we are worshiping and serving the Lord Jesus Christ with all our heart. So, Lord, increase it that I may love you more. And the last, woo the last, he restores, he renews. Some of you are reading ahead already. Then the Lord your God will make, mo- will make you most prosperous in the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb and the young of your livestock and the crops of your land. The Lord, come on, let's lead it together. The Lord will again delight. That Hebrew word means rejoice in the King James. The Lord will again rejoice in you. I want to stop there. I did a a little word study on this word delight, rejoice. It means to be glad, to rejoice, to exalt. But as you do word studies, I, I mean, the Hebrew word, Hebrew language, even the Greek, is, is so much more complicated than the English. I think there were like 12 different words that could be used for this word rejoice or delight. And really, the understanding of this word rejoice, delight, Literally has the meaning, are you ready? Of springing and leaping. When I heard that the meaning of this word rejoice deals with leaping and springing, immediately my mind went to Acts chapter 3 where Peter and John went to the temple at the noon, at the three-hour time to pray. And there at the gate of beautiful was a man who had been crippled from birth, asking for alms. And what did Peter and John give to him? Healing. And the man went walking and leaping, walking and leaping, praising God. I have no problem. Visualize this man who had never walked before, Leaping and jumping and praising God. And then all of a sudden I realized that just as that lame man was walking and leaping and praising God. That is what this scripture says God does over us. God leaps and jumps and springs for joy over us. Come on, have you ever thought, have you ever envisioned God up there? High-fiving the angles, angels. Way to go, Bobby. Way to go, Bob. Way to go, Hope. Hey, Ryan. There you go. Way to go, Ryan. Wow. I know he sings over me. I know he dances over me. But the Lord rejoices with leaping and jumping, rejoicing over us. 
doing the divine dance. Now, I'm going to go out on another limb and just hear me out because I haven't fully developed this thought, but this is what occurred to me. When you read about the outpouring of God's Spirit in revivals, you will always read what they call strange manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Anybody here strange manifestations? Like in Florida, the Brownsville revival. One of the strange manifestations was laughing. Well, you know what? Could it be that the laughing at the altar is just an overflow of God rejoicing in heaven? Have you ever seen a game show before? The price is right, and they call someone's name, and that person comes running down, and they can't even talk because they're so excited, they're, they're shaking. <laughs> Could it be that one of the manifestations of shaking at the altar is just an overflow of God rejoicing in heaven? Could it be the shouts of praise at the altar be an overflow of God rejoicing in heaven? I don't know, but sometimes I believe that sometimes those manifestations is just an overflow of God in heaven rejoicing over us. Oh, how we need to stir in the flames, fan in the flames, Rekindle our heart. Remember. Return. Draw near. And let God restore, renew, and rejoice. How do you even close? How do you even close a message like this? started looking for all different illustrations and all different stories from revival. Pastor Bonnie, you can come. But I believe the best way to close this message is how Moses closed his message to the Israelites. Moses says this, now, what I'm commanding you today what I'm asking of you today, it's not too difficult for you. It's not beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will send to heaven and get it and proclaim to us so that we may obey it? And it's not beyond the sea so you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? It's not too difficult. No, the word is very near. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. So you obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God and to walk in his ways and to keep his commands, decrees, laws. Then you will live and increase. 
And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if you turn your hearts easy, or if you turn your hearts away, and that's, it should be away, sorry, Hope. But if you turn your hearts away, and you are not obedient, and you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan and enter to possess. Would you stand with me? I'm, I'm saying right up front, there's, there's no final dismissal this morning. But as we begin just to worship the Lord, maybe there are those who want to make your way to this altar. As you're remembering and as you're returning. Maybe you just want to move from where you're standing to a different place. But would we take time to rekindle our hearts before Him?